You are listening to sermon audio from Coggin Avenue Baptist Church. If you'd like to know more about us, check us out online at www.cogginchurch.org. If you have a copy of God's Word, well, you're going to need it if you're coming to the church here. I'm going to ask you to open in it to Jonah chapter 4. <laughs> What's great about the book of Jonah is that it probably should end in the mind of most in Jonah chapter 3, but it doesn't. It has another chapter, a plot twist, if you will. Let's, let's look at Jonah 4 together at the danger of self-righteous anger. Last week uh, on Sunday afternoon, uh, many of us gathered around that media device in your living room. Some of them are in your children's room. And some of you have them in your bedroom. I'm not judging you. I do as well. And we were watching something called the Super Bowl, right? Some of you probably didn't watch it, so just bear with me on this football illustration, but I'll walk you in. We, we watched the Los Angeles Rams just narrowly defeat the Cincinnati Bengals. It was a tough game, probably one of the best Super Bowls I've seen in a long time, and it came down to the last drive, which in football is, is awesome. That's what you want. You want to enjoy the whole game. Now, my wife and I, we were pulling for the Cincinnati Bengals to win because of one person, well, actually two people, one named Joe, Joe Burrow and the other one named Jamar Chase. Why? Because they both played at my wife's alma mater, and I need to say thank you or I'm sorry for this next reference. They went to LSU. And so we're, we're big LSU fans. And we watched J- Joe Burrow, right, Cool Joe, take them to a national championship. What I believe, the greatest single season in college football history. And so we're like, okay, let's go Bengals. Let's continue the same quarterback and same receiver. And, of course, we were disappointed when they came up just a little bit short. And we all watched and Matthew Stafford, Stafford and isn't it Cooper Cup who won the MVP? They were the ones at the end of the game doing what? They were hoisting the Super Bowl trophy. We call it the Lombardi trophy. And what did you see on their face? Tears? Smiles? I don't think it would be too large of a word to describe elation. They were just overwhelmed with joy. Even Aaron Donald, who's that defensive player, maybe the best ever, he kind of always has this look on his face, right? Why is the question for you this morning? Why were they filled with such joy and elation? I'll tell you why. Because that was the goal that they fought for, that they worked for. Some of them even sweated, most of them sweated, I guess all of them except for the bench players, sweated and even bled for. That's not just the goal for the LA Rams or the Cincinnati Bengals. That's the goal of every football team in the NFL. To do what? To win the Super Bowl. To hoist that trophy overhead. But what if last Sunday evening there was a plot twist? And instead of Cooper Cup, who was the MVP, hoisting that MVP trophy or hoisting that Lombardi trophy overhead, what if you watched him just slam it on the ground in anger? What? Pastor, you kind of went off on that illustration. Yeah, it's my point this morning. What if instead of elation on Matthew Stafford's face, you saw uncontrolled, exceedingly bad anger? It would do what? It would surprise you. Because who gets mad when the goal is achieved? Jonah chapter (laughs) 4. That's exactly what Jonah did. 
Instead of elation that he should have felt for God converting the sinner, there's a major plot twist that most people, I don't expect every time I read it. Instead of elation, he got angry at God for being God. Most people want to say, oh, let's just leave Jonah at Jonah 3. God called Jonah. He disobeyed. God relentless left pursued Jonah in a storm, found him on a ship, saw him in the ocean. Jonah repented. God relented, sent a big fish, whatever kind of fish it was, put Jonah back on track. He went to Nineveh. He preached. They repented. God relented from his wrath. The end. Jonah and Nineveh live happily ever after. That, that would be a nice little ending to a fairy tale. But here's the deal, church. The Bible is not a fairy tale. It's a book of history. It, it actually happened like this. Oh, and the lessons that we can learn from Jonah's self-righteous heart are stinging, so just get ready. But they're so good for you. It's good when God challenges you and changes you, and he does it at every turn in this story. Let's read it together. Would you stand with me? Jonah chapter 4. Jonah's real response to God achieving his goal of repentance. It greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, which, by the way, is the one good thing he did in this passage. I commend Jonah on that. If you're you're mad at God for doing something, even if you're a knucklehead about it, it's good to talk to him about it because he's the one that can handle it, and he's the one that can fix it. So I commend Jonah for praying to the Lord, but his prayer was messed up. He said, please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, in other words, to, to stall the Lord's will from happening, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abundant loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. <laughs> He's using God's word against God. What? Verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, just take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. What a drama queen. But I've been there. Verse 4. The Lord said, maybe even with a chuckle, do you have good reason to be angry? That's a great question, Lord. Please, please answer it for us today. This is God's word. Please be seated. I want to start where Jonah ends. Is that not just the most fantastic question? That God is extending to all of us who have self-righteous anger. Do you have the right? Is it your place to have anger against God for being who he is? Of course, the answer is no, but that's why we're in the text. This is why. Chapter 4 is why Jonah is, is one of, not only one of my favorite books, but this chapter in Jonah is the reason that I'm drawn to the book because it's real. Jonah struggles just like we struggle, and in his self-righteousness, we can learn lessons. So here's my first call or challenge from the text. Be careful, church. Be careful to not let self-righteous anger cause you to question God's will and to question God's character, because your self-righteousness will cause you to do it every time. It was God's will to save Nineveh. Why? Because it was God's character to show love 
and to show mercy. And if you want it for you, you have to accept and celebrate that it was shown to even people like them. Shockingly, though, the, sp- the plot twist is that Jonah became angry at the Lord for saving Nineveh from their destruction. And the reason I call the anger self-righteous, because this anger did not come from God like we call righteous indignation. God did not teach him this nor tell him this. This anger arose from within Jonah himself and his own preferences and biases. You know, sometimes in the Bible we can learn lessons of not only what we should do, we can learn lessons of what not to do. And this story offers us in this chapter such an occasion. We should never, oh Lord, never respond like Jonah did. Jonah exposes his heart I would call it his hardened heart fully to the Lord. And guess what we get to see? We get to see it in all of its corrupt glory. He gets mad at God for keeping his promise. And Jonah tells you that this was his heart from the beginning. He takes you all the way back to the beginning of the story. And because he knew God, he's basically saying, God, I knew you would do this. I knew that if they would just repent that you would relent. And I didn't want you to. This is what I was afraid of when you first called me. So I ran, he says. He tells us why he ran because of his corrupt hatred towards Nineveh. Trying, he says, to stall your will from being done. Oh, what hope do you have of stalling the will of God? Not much. (laughs) Now, what you can do is uh, remove yourself from participation in what he wants to see for his glory, but you cannot stop it. It was a futile effort, but Jonah did it anyway. Don't get me wrong. Assyria was a bad nation. And they did bad things. Jonah would have been totally righteously justified to be anger towards their sin and to be angry towards their brutality. But he was wrong, church. Listen to me. He was wrong in being angry, exceedingly angry, the Bible says, towards God for saving them. And here's an opportunity for me to tell you there is a massive difference between righteous indignation and self-righteous anger. And in my own heart, usually when I feel angry, it's based off my own self-righteous preferences and not on God. Let me explain to you the difference clearly so we all know together. Righteous indignation comes when you feel angry about a sin that you see in another, even if it's yourself, On behalf of God. Self-righteous anger comes about when you get angry and you leave God out of it. You get angry at God or others based on your preference and not his will. We know that it was self-righteous anger because Jonah actually calls what God did to Nineveh, even though he's God. Look what he does here. He calls it evil. He calls what God does evil. Look at verse 2. A more literal translation with the Hebrew could say, what God did was evil to Jonah. Literally, the word evil is used in Hebrew. He even calls it a great evil, and he became angry. So I ask you this morning, why would Jonah be angry that God saved and allowed repentance to happen in more than 100,000 people? Why would he call that evil? I want to tell you today, it's likely that it came from his ethnic and political allegiance to Israel. So this is where it gets very stinging and convicting for us today. Jonah seems to be a committed 
nationalist. And this could cause him to have been bitter, not only towards Assyria, but to Nineveh as its capital. Why? Because they were enemies of his homeland. Assyria, you can't really blame him for seeing Assyria as an enemy because Assyria, if it was around today, it would be considered a terrorist state. Maybe he had a past history, some, of course he did, that helped him or caused him to see Nineveh and Assyria as less deserving of God's mercy. Whatever the reason, be it national pride or pure racism, we know that seeing the people respond in repentance and seeing God relent against his promised wrath caused Jonah great pain. It brought him very low. So low, in fact, that when he saw God's mercy poured out on this nation, he said, you know what? If this is what you're going to do, just kill me. That's how hardened his heart was towards them. Jonah is basically telling God, who do you think you are? If it wasn't so sad and sinful, it would almost be funny. You're, You're really mad at God. For being God. You know what it reminds me of? You, you may not have seen this show. It reminds me of Michael Scott and The Office. Anybody ever seen that show, The Office? If you haven't, just bear with me. If you have, you, you know that Michael Scott is always busting the chops of this guy named Toby. And sometimes Michael Scott would just look at Toby and go, why are you the way that you are? <laughs> and it's funny for us in the show, and, and if it wasn't so sad, it'd be funny here. Jonah is mad at God for keeping his promises. Jonah's self-righteous attitude and hatred turned him against his creator. The only hope he had, as he just saw, he turns on him because of his self-righteous anger towards another. Can I just take a moment and say this? When you find yourself and in your own will at odds with God's will as revealed in his word, listen to me. You are wrong every time. If you would believe that and truly own that, now God can radically change you and help you find personal happiness in him. Every time your will is at odds with God's will, you are wrong, church. I am wrong. When you place your self-righteous preference above everything else, that thing, that preference, that anger, that hatred, that prejudice, that whatever becomes an idol. And therefore, with an idol, you can get so puffed up in your idol worship of yourself and your preferences that you actually think that you can judge God. And therefore, God can turn the question back on you like he does on Jonah. No, who do you, Todd, church family think that you are to judge me that's a great question Jonah church is in a very dangerous place just like we are in a very dangerous place when we start questioning God's will and we start judging God's character Jonah couldn't imagine to himself how God could show mercy to these wicked people despite the fact that it was God who just showed mercy to him when he didn't deserve it in the ocean see this is what self-righteousness does Self-righteous attitudes and self-righteous anger can blind you to your own sin and yet at the same time cause you only to see the fault in others. 
As we start thinking a little bit deeper about the self-righteous anger that arrived in Jonah, let's look at what some of the options could have been why he had this. I told you earlier, I believe a lot of it was because of Jonah's self-righteousness, how it came from his over-exaggerated national pride. Can I just be clear? National pride in our nation is a good thing. But when it becomes more important than everything else, that good thing has become a bad thing because you took the good thing too far. Right? Eating sweets on occasion can be a good thing. But when that sweet or that ice cream or that cake comes above everything else, it becomes, as silly as it sounds, an idol. And therefore, that good thing becomes very, very bad for you. Yes, even love for your nation. Because it takes the place of God in your life. And you start, you put, you start to put yourself in the place of God. And you start hating others on his behalf. That is not your job. You start judging others as if you were God. That is not your job. C.S. Lewis started to understand this later in his life. We all know the, the writings of C.S. Lewis. And he wrote about the three kinds of biblical love. What's interesting, buried in his writings on the three types of biblical love, he talks about something that he would classify as being an overzealous patriot. And yes, there is such a thing. He encourages us to love our nation or what he considers a love for home, but he also warns us to not take it too far. C.S. Lewis could speak to the subject because he himself was a patriot. Did you know that? He served in the British Army in World War I. He was willing to sacrifice his life when he was even injured for the cause. But despite being a patriot, Lewis makes the point that you, I ask God to, to burn this into your brains, that your love for nation becomes a demon when it becomes a God. Let that sit. I'm going to say it again. Your love for nation becomes a demon when it becomes a God. Of course, Lewis isn't referencing America. He's referencing the Nazi party that put the national interest of Germany above everything, even above the sanctity of human life. So he gives warning about loving one's nation to the point where it becomes an idol. And you know that your nation has become an idol when you either ignore, now this is huge too. This is, oh, it's getting me, church. When you either ignore or approve that nation's, our nation's, sordid history. And we start saying things like, yeah, yeah, but. That, that, doesn't, well, that doesn't really matter. Let's not talk about that. Are there subjects in our own nation's history that we should not ignore, look over, or approve? Absolutely. We have never claimed to be a perfect nation, nor should we. What we did to the Native American tribes on the continent that we now live, in many cases, was despicable. What we allowed to happen in the slave trade is unthinkable. We shouldn't stand here and defend that nonsense, but we should learn from it and say, God, let us never do it again. So yes, be proud to be an American. I know I am. I serve this nation, and even today, I'm willing to die for this nation. But be careful that you don't choose your national interest over God's interest. That's all that I'm trying to say. That's what Jonah did, and it was bad for him. Jonah may have wanted God to destroy Nineveh for a good reason, because he was afraid that Nineveh was going to destroy Israel. And guess what, church? He was right. 
It wasn't very long after God saved Nineveh that Nineveh, along with the rest of Assyria, came into Israel, took over the 12 tribes, and took the northern kingdom into captivity. Jonah would have been right in wanting to prevent this. Jonah would have been right in fighting against this. Jonah would have been right of standing against this. But he had no right to hate the people. We have no right to hate others. And he had no right to call God evil for loving them unto repentance. Jonah worshipped his national pride over God. That very likely could have been his problem. I know this because he would rather see these people destroyed and lost for all of eternity and even die himself rather than see his nation's political agenda thwarted through God's salvation of the sinner. What did Jonah have, church? He had a twisted heart. His love for his nation turned his heart against the God of his nation. Oh, be careful that your love for this nation does not turn your heart against the God of all nations. That's right out of Jonah. And I think it's on time for me. You know this is happening when, like Jonah, you start to hate other nations. When you don't want to see the people of other nations saved. You know this is happening when you start to revel in their destruction. And you even resent God for saving their souls. But for you, it may not be national pride that feeds your righteous anger. That may just be me that I've been dealing with for my history past. It might be self-righteous anger that you feel based off your ethnicity. Let me explain. Jonah could have thought that Israel was better than Assyria, which could have led Jonah to believe that he as an individual was better than them and that they were undeserving or not as deserving of God's mercy as he was because of his ethnicity, because he was an Israelite and because he was a Jew. Now, this is a common, though hidden, struggle for many people today. Let me ask you some questions to walk you in. No, they're not fun, but they're necessary. Do you think that a certain ethnicity is less than? Less than your ethnicity. Just, it's just because of where they're from, the language they speak, or the color of their skin, that somehow they're, they're less than you. Maybe you even think that they're less deserving of God's salvation than you are. Less deserving of a job or a place at the table. Less intelligent or just less than. If you do, this is not of God. You get this from family heritage or you get this from teaching that you've learned. You do not get this from God. And I want to tell you, you, you're probably going to be disappointed in heaven. Well, actually, you're going to be disappointed before you get to heaven. You're going to be disappointed at judgment when God's wrath shows you just how wrong you are. Though you can still get in, he will for sure correct that before you walk through those gates. And let us never forget that Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, this isn't Todd's teaching, it's God's teaching all through the scriptures, and here's but a glimpse of it. It tells us that every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every ethnicity, every color of skin will be worshiping around the throne for all of eternity. Yes, it's going to be colorful, and yes, it's going to be beautiful, and I pray you weep in excitement for that day. Oh, I pray that you would never resent God for allowing those people to be there. I never promised it would be light this morning. I just promised it would be good. But maybe it's not your national pride that causes your self-righteousness to rise up in anger. Maybe it's not your ethnicity. Maybe you've worked through these issues. Maybe for you today, it's a certain political party that you hate. Okay, okay, Pastor Todd, you're meddling. Don't worry, not for much longer. 
when God stops meddling with me, I'll stop meddling with you. Deal? Maybe you started to think, or you have started to think that a person is worthless because of the way they vote. I believe in our nation today, this type of political self-righteous anger and hatred is probably growing faster than racism. I might be wrong. It's just what I see on social media and other avenues. A few summary questions. Does the idea of God's mercy being shown to a certain nation, a certain ethnic group, or a certain political party, does that bother you? If so, you're in danger of letting your self-righteous preferences distract you and puff you up to the point where you judge God and you question his character. And I just want to give you a soft, maybe stinging warning today. Be careful. Be careful. Realize that God's mercy is only available to you because it's available to all. You're not special. Neither am I. God is special. None of us are deserving. All of us are on the same level of need. All stand condemned at the foot of the cross, church. All of us must look up and see our Savior nailed there and see that it's our sin that put him there. And all of us must trust in him for forgiveness. See what sin does for you. It can do some good things for you. It is the great equalizer and it is the great unifier. Self-righteousness is unhelpful to the life of a believer. Why? Because we have no righteousness on our own. All of us, if we have any righteousness, it's because it's been imputed to us through our faith in Christ. Self-righteous thinking judges God and believes it knows better than him and believes that it knows more than he does as he's been revealed in his word. It is coming from a place of pride. But righteous thinking is understanding that everything the Lord chooses to do is good. Everything that the Lord chooses to do is good. Whether saving the Ninevites or those who don't look like you or act like you, The Lord warned his people against self-righteous thinking in Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20. Look at it with me. He says, woe to those who see evil as good or who see good as evil. That's what Jonah did. He saw the good of God's salvation in Nineveh and he says, that's evil. God says, woe to you. Verse 21, he says, woe to those who are right in their own eyes. And clever in their own sight. That's exactly what Jonah was doing. He based what was right off of his own clever intellect, not from God. He evaluated God, passed judgment on God's decisions, and he burned with anger against him. If I could just sum it up, and I've said it in a lot of different ways and a lot of different illustrations, but let me end this point on this. Jonah had it all wrong in these verses. Be warned against self-righteous thinking as it will cause you to not only question God's will, but also his character. But it does one other thing that I think is terrible this morning and is very dangerous, and it comes right out of the text. Self-righteous anger can cause you to abuse God's word. Jonah literally used the word of God to attack the character of God. Look here what he says. He quotes Exodus 34, dripping with accusation when he says to God, for I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Jonah had it twisted. Is it not God's grace, his compassion, his patience, his abounding love, and his responsive mercy that should be a reason for praise? Yes. But instead, Jonah uses these character traits of God revealed in the Bible 
as reasons to be angry with God. Jonah used God's word against God. It is insane. But you can do the same when your self-righteousness grows in you. What's interesting that Tim Keller points out is that though Jonah used Exodus 34 against God, he almost forgot completely about Exodus 37 where God tells us that he will not let the evil or the wicked go unpunished. We can't just pick and choose God's word when it's pleasing for us and use it against him when he angers us. We must take it all together. This type of thinking is twisted and arises from self-righteous pride. But you know, we too can fall into similar traps when we let self-righteous anger abide in us. Tim Keller also points out how we can misuse the Bible today in a self-righteous way. Let me give you some examples. Scholars can misuse and abuse the scriptures out of context to do what? To bring doubt to the scriptures so that we don't have to obey it. Some people who even call themselves Christian scholars try this nonsense today. But even the everyday simple Christian can use the scripture against God when? When they use the Bible as a weapon of judgment or hatred towards others. I have little patience for this. There are organizations out there that preach hate from a corrupted and incomplete view of the Bible. I thought about bringing them to you this morning as a warning, like sharing, you, sharing with you their names. I won't because I don't want you to go look up at their website. I don't want them to get any more airtime. Here's what we're called to do. We're called to preach the gospel. And the gospel never, I know that's a strong word, it never makes mention of you hating someone else. We should leave the wrath and the judgment of God where it belongs, to God. Now what can we do? We can plead. Oh, we can preach. We can expose lies with the truth, but we are not to hate. And never to use God's word as a reason to hate. Any provocative and hateful speech that we add to the gospel for effect does not come from a place of truth, but from a place of self-righteous anger. And I want to tell you today, it's abhorrent to misuse God's word to incite people unto hatred from it. But you're probably not doing that today. I tell you, a more common and subtle thing that we do to use God's word against him is to allow the word to puff us up with knowledge. Many times we do this when the intent of our studying of God's word is to prove others wrong. And we like to say, aha, got you. Look, I learned from God's word. What is that doing for you? It's puffing you up so you can bring others down. Is that the intent of God's word? No, not ever. When the Bible makes us wise in our own eyes, we are wrong. So here's a question that God asked me today. Todd, why do you read the Bible? Is it just to gain knowledge of alone? Alone? If so, you're doing it wrong. Is it to feel more righteous? Well, that's impossible. That's all about you, Todd. And it comes from a self-righteous heart and can lead to self-righteous anger. And I've already sufficiently warned you against that. No, church, we read the Bible to know God. It should encourage you. It should convict you, yes. And it should humble you. The Bible is not done with you until it transforms you. It was never meant to be studied just for head knowledge alone. But if you need just one more reason to not misuse God's word, I've got one more for you. Do you know who else in the Bible used the Bible against God? There's one other. His name was Satan. 
And he does it in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, where he twists God's word and he makes accusation against God and tempts God in the flesh known as Jesus Christ. Can I just tell you today, you do not want to be associated with him. Don't use God's word against God. So how can you be free from the idol of self? That's the question. How, pastor, can I be free from self-righteousness today? There's but one answer. The gospel. See, righteousness and salvation are from the Lord. None of us can earn it today, but in Christ, every single one of us, through repentance and faith, can have it. You do not have self-righteousness, or if you do, you need to rid yourself of it. And can I just encourage you today? You don't have to be self-righteous. You don't have to bear the burden of judging others. Jesus is the righteous one, and he's righteous for you, and therefore judgment belongs to him. How can we ever be puffed up or prideful when we realize what Christ has given us that we don't deserve it from him? We are all saved by his grace. Americans and Ninevites alike. There is no room for self-righteous anger in the heart that is full of humility and appreciation for what God has done for you in Christ. So can we pray that God would replace our self-righteous thinking with humility and appreciation and praise for what he has done for us? Let's ask him to do that now. Lord, we, I, come to you convicted. I confess to you that I've looked at other nations and other religions with hatred based on my own preferences and self-righteousness, and I'm sorry. Lord, I pray that you would forgive me. I pray that you would forgive us. And God, you would find in us any ounce of self-righteous anger, any ounce of self-righteous thinking, and you would expose it before your glory today. And God, you would remove it from us. And God, if there's one that's listening or here today that's trying to make it into heaven on their own self-righteous abilities, God, show them that's impossible, that is hopeless. Show them the cross and the payment that you made there, Lord Jesus. Show them the resurrection that gives them access to salvation and bring upon them conviction unto repentance and faith. Oh, Lord, only you can do that, and we ask you to do it. And God, when you do it in somebody else that we don't understand and may not even like, God, that we would praise you for it. Because you doing it for them shows, oh Lord, that you can and have done it in us. God, show us your glory today. We praise you. We appreciate the gospel. Let it empower us into right living this week. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Coggin Church podcast. We exist to make disciples by leading people to connect with God, with others, through service to the world. For more information about Coggin, visit us at www.cogginchurch.org.